0: The following
1: message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. The Gospel of John, chapter 10, where I will read from verses 7 through 18. John 10, verses 7 through 18. Hear now God's word. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Let us pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, you are the true and the living God. You are the maker of the heavens and the earth, and you govern all things according to your own purpose and by the counsel of your own will. Your purposes are true. Your love is steadfast, and your faithfulness is to all generations. Lord, today we bow before you As the God who is almighty and has all power, but also who is the God who is all good and who has expressed that goodness to us by giving us our daily bread. Ultimately, you express your steadfast love through the gift of our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has died that we might live. You have been this to us as a congregation, you have heard our prayers through the weeks and months and years. You have met our needs. You have supplied all of our wants according to your riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And because of that, and because you have redeemed us by the blood of your own Son, we are your bond servants. So we pray today as a congregation and as individuals that you would work through us, that you would work in us, by us, for us, and through us. Help us to be faithful to you and true to you in all that we do. We lift up those among us today who are struggling, those who are struggling with emotional and psychological problems, those who are struggling spiritually with doubt or worry about the future. We pray for those who are struggling with their health, and we have many who have health needs. We pray to you today as our Heavenly Father and Healer that you would remove all doubt, that you would remove all fear, and that you would remove pain from us and above all else enable us to trust in you. We pray for the Texas flood victims this morning. And we thank you for the outpouring of Christian passion, affection, and determination to help meet the needs of those victims. Above all, we thank you for the praises to you that have come forth from those very individuals who have been most devastated and ravaged. The churches, the Christians in Texas, how we pray for them this morning. May their voices be heard, their devotion to you be heard, and may the words of their mouths and the meditations of their hearts continue to be acceptable in your sight. Father, we thank you today for the body of Christ. We thank you for our dear pastor, Greg, who will preach to us now, and we ask that you would give us ears to hear and hands to do, for Jesus' sake.
0: Amen. Psalm 23 is indeed a psalm of David. David writes these words. If you have your Bibles open or if you know it by heart, you're more than welcome to say it along with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. No study of the Psalms would be complete without, at some point, landing here. For it really is the pinnacle of the Psalms. It is perhaps the most well-known text in all of Holy Scripture. Its only competition, perhaps, is John 3.16. People who know absolutely nothing about the Bible quite often know this text very well. One historian wrote this. Of Psalm 23, he says, It has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the hearts of the sick, of captives in dungeons, of widows in their pinching grief, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner and broken his chains and like Peter's angel, led him forth in imagination and sung him back to his home again. It has made the dying slave freer than his master. Such poetic and beautiful and yet apt words about sort of the enduring and lasting and timeless impact of this particular psalm. We dare not forget that this is a song that was sung by many and is still sung today. We study it today as a text, but indeed it's a song that could be sung, a song that indeed was sung and was sung because it is a psalm of great comfort and consolation. And what person navigates life in this world who doesn't at times need comfort and consolation. And this psalm is a gift from the Lord through which he provides that to his people. And it is a a psalm of great comfort and consolation, not because of the words themselves, but because the psalm, Is simply a vehicle by which God reveals himself and we see as we sing it we see as we study it We see as we think about it the very God whom it discloses And as we see him for who he is we're comforted and we're consoled regardless of our circumstance And so as we look to psalm 23 today, we are looking again at a psalm that is primarily a psalm about the Lord It's a psalm that is primarily about God himself. It's a psalm that is primarily designed to teach his people what he is like. We know that because the very first words are what? The Lord is. That's what the psalm is all about. It's about the Lord, a Lord who is. And he goes on to tell us what this Lord is like. It's a psalm that presents to us the nature and the attributes of God better than any other book. We find the psalms doing that for us. It's in them that we see Him in vivid colors. It's in the psalms that the psalmist takes the Lord as though He were a a multifaceted diamond, and and the psalmist holds Him up to the light, and He gently turns the diamond. And as the rays of light shine through, we see the Lord from different angles. And we catch glimpses into his character and who he is and what he's like. And we're astounded by every ray of light that we see. We stood in this very place last week and we looked at Psalm 50, a psalm also that describes primarily what the Lord is like. And I'm not sure what that experience was like for you, but it was a, a fearful experience for me because Psalm 50 describes the Lord in very vivid terminology and in, in terminology that describes Him as a, a fierce and mighty God of righteous judgment and unmatched power. The scene, if you recall, was a courtroom and the Lord had summoned His people before them to hold them accountable for their sin. And we saw a God of righteous judgment and a God of awesome, unmatched power. We saw Him described like this. Uh, psalm 50 says, Before Him is a devouring fire and around Him a mighty tempest. A God who comes in a hurricane and a God who is surrounded by blazing fire that utterly consumes His enemies. A fearful picture of a mighty God who is unmatched by any other. That psalm was concluded by the words... Of God Himself saying to His people these things Mark this, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart. It's a picture of a mighty God who means business, who is not to be trifled with, and who holds men accountable. It was a staggering, awe inspiring, fearful image of our God. He is fierce. And none can withstand Him. That's what we saw last week. And the intention of the psalmist in showing us God this way was to draw out of His people a response. And that response was God's people in seeing God this way should respond in awe and reverence and gratitude and obedience. That's what seeing God like that should do in the hearts of His people. And I trust and believe and hope and pray that that was the response of your heart last week. But this psalm, Psalm 23, is altogether different. The psalmist gently turns the the diamond and we see a different ray of light shine at us. Equally beautiful, but stunningly different. The God we see in Psalm 23 is the very same God we saw in Psalm 50. But we see a different piece of His character. The setting is not a courtroom. The setting is twofold. It's a field and it's a home around a table. And we don't see God's unmatched power in His righteous judgment. What we see in Psalm 23 is His loving care and His unending provision. The God who is fierce and righteous and awe-inspiring, we're going to find, is also a God who is infinitely loving. And a God who provides every need of His people. And the intended response of Psalm 23 is that we would be drawn to Him. And then in seeing Him this way, we would find peace, and we would find comfort, and we would find confidence in our lives because they're anchored in a good shepherd, a God who loves us, and a God who has made us enduring promises that He indeed will keep. I point that out in contrasting it with last week by way of introduction because it is critical that we not study Psalm 23 and see God this way and somehow put the image we see of God in Psalm 23 up against the image we see in Psalm 50 of the very same God as though these two things are somehow contradictory or competing. We must understand that our God is... Deep and complex, far beyond what we can ever fully and completely grasp. He is above us and beyond us. He is infinitely more complex than we could ever know. And so he shows us these rays of light into who he is. The God we see in Psalm 23 is equally and equally as intense a loving and providing God as he is a fierce and unmatched God who is not to be trifled with. And we see that this morning. Psalm 23 there are two settings here verses 1 through 4 really give us the first metaphor David uses two metaphors The first is that of a shepherd and his sheep and the setting is out in the field Verses 5 and 6 David shifts the metaphor and he moves from the field and a shepherd sheep Metaphor into a home around a table and uses the metaphor of a host who's entertaining um, a valued guest and both of the metaphors are intended to reinforce the same central message, as we'll see moving our way through. We'll focus on verses 1 through 4, and then verses 5 and 6 this morning we'll just sort of show the connecting points as to how they reinforce the exact same message and draw it to an end. But this first imagery is so familiar to us. The Lord, our shepherd. The Lord, our shepherd. Such a familiar imagery in the book, in, in the Holy Scripture, Right? I mean, you, you turn from the very beginning of the Bible and you make your way through and all throughout you see this imagery of sheep and a shepherd. Why do you think that is? You've got to have some idea, right? <laughs> Because it was a very common sight in the days of the biblical authors, right? They were uh, an agrarian sort of people, primarily in the Old Testament. And so, you know, sheep and shepherds, that was a commonplace scene all around the place. You talk about sheep and shepherds and everyone understood what you were talking about. Not just in general, but to the very detailed nuances of what that world looked like. We're so far removed from that, it's a little bit of a challenge for us. We have to do some work to sort of make the connecting points. But as David wrote Psalm 23, it would have required no explanation to those who sung it initially. They would have immediately understood the imagery. We'll work a bit this morning to draw it all out. But the imagery here is sheep and shepherds, the people of God, the sheep, and God himself, the Lord, is my shepherd. Such a common uh, sight in first century Judaism. Sheep and shepherds, shepherds tending their sheep. Shepherds tended sheep because they needed owners who owned the sheep, needed shepherds to get their sheep from where they were uh, uh, initially to the place where they would be sheared and their wool would be sold and profit would be made or slaughter would take place and food would be sold. Unlike sort of the massive herds that are seen today in the first century, sheep and shepherds herds were relatively small, 20 to 100 sheep and small enough that the shepherd would know his sheep. It wasn't just a a mob of nameless sheep. A shepherd in the first century knew his sheep. He became very, very acquainted with them and they with he. Being a shepherd was a grueling job. It was a difficult job It was an unenviable job when they had the job fair in uh, In jerusalem and called everyone together and said hey here are the job opportunities There was not a big line at the shepherd booth if you understand what i'm getting at here You ended up usually a shepherd by default and it was usually because you were the youngest son in the crowd You got to be the shepherd By default it's hard work. It was difficult work. It was a 24-7 job Shepherds stayed with their sheep all the time 24 7 they were with the sheep They couldn't leave them alone because sheep were incredibly vulnerable So the shepherd had to be with them all the time He had to sleep with them. He was with them when it rained. He was with them when the sun shined. He was with them when the weather was good when it was bad, whatever the circumstance the shepherd was always with his sheep There was no vacation It was dirty and it was a dangerous job You know when we think of sheep You think a cute little fluffy woolly white you know, cute little things. That's not what sheep are like. They are filthy, dirty animals. Their skin creates this this sort of an oil uh, that that keeps them moist, and that oil attracts everything, every bit of dirt and dust and bugs attached to that that wool, and those sheep... um, uh, I'm getting a nod right here from our our dear Romanian friend because in Romania there are sheep and shepherds still to this day you can find them and she understands what this is about. They're dirty. They're filthy. Hanging around them is not a fun thing. They don't smell good. That's why there's no perfume. Ode to sheep. Nobody guys that because they stink. And the shepherd is fully responsible for his sheep all the time. Fully responsible. They are his responsibility. They need everything. And can't provide for themselves. He supplies everything or they die. That's the relationship. That is it. They need everything. And either he supplies it or they die. That is the relationship that's being pictured here when David says, The Lord is my shepherd. He has everything and I need everything. And without him I die. That's what David's saying. Now, David knew a little something about being a shepherd, right? He knew a little something about this. When we encounter David in 1 Samuel 17, we find right out of the shoot about him that he is the youngest of four brothers, which by default meant he got to hang out with the sheep. That was his job. 1 Samuel 17 is a very familiar text. It's, it's, it's a, a battle imagery. The, the, the army of Israel is up against the Philistine army, and the Philistine army has a remarkable advantage. They have a giant You would call that an advantage in their day. His name is Goliath. He is taunting the armies, and the armies are in sheer terror. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we find David, the shepherd boy, has come to bring food to his brothers who are the warriors, and he sees what's going on, and he's shocked in dismay that the armies of God's people are reeling in fear at this giant. And so he says to King Saul, I'll take the giant. And here's what King Saul says, verse 34 of 1 Samuel 17. Actually, it's what David says. But David said to Saul, Your servant he used to keep the sheep for my father. And when there came a lion or a bear, and, I took a, and that lion or bear took a lamb from the flock, I went after him, and I struck him, and I delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Now, you know the rest of that story. But I only share it with you because David clearly understands the dangers of being a shepherd, right? Lions, bears, wolves. David had experienced all of those things. He understood what it was to be a shepherd. He knew this imagery well. First Chronicles chapter 17, by the way, verse 7 says this. This is God speaking. Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from where? from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be a prince over my people. You see, David was the shepherd who became a king, and God was the orchestrator of all that. And so David understood this imagery of shepherds and sheep. It was very familiar to him, and it's it's used all throughout the Bible, throughout the Psalms. The prophets use the imagery all over the place, and the prophets normally in regards to Israel's leaders who were supposed to be his under-shepherds over the people, but who largely fed themselves instead of feeding the sheep And so he rebukes them. Move our way all the way to the New Testament. And the first thing we encounter in the New Testament is the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And who are the first people who get the word that Christ is born? They're shepherds. They're shepherds. And so there they are again. You flip over a few pages and you find early on in the New Testament, John chapter 10 that Roger read for us this morning, that Jesus captures this imagery and he uses it and applies it to himself. He takes the imagery of Psalm 23 and he says, I am the good shepherd. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh, Jehovah is my shepherd. God, the the self-existent, self-sufficient All-powerful, one and only God is my shepherd. And Jesus says, you remember what the psalmist said about him? I am him. I am that good shepherd. And Jesus identifies himself with the Lord of Psalm 23. And David says here, he uses that imagery. The Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is the shepherd. He says something altogether different. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is mine. The Lord has ownership over me. He has ownership over me, and I have a sense of belonging to Him. He owns me, I belong to Him. That's all caught up in the word my. The Lord is my shepherd. He owns me, I belong to Him. It's a marvelous statement, isn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. Two incredible implications of just that one simple pronoun. Number one, He's saying, my life is not my own. It does not belong to me. It belongs to him. The Lord is my shepherd. He owns me. I'm owned. I don't live my life as though I do whatever I want to do. I don't live my life charting my own course. I don't navigate my life like I'm the most important person in the universe. I am owned. He is the most important person in the universe, and I have value because I belong to him. Which is the second implication of that. I am not homeless, and I am not alone in the world. I have a sense of belonging because I belong to a shepherd, the Lord. I'm His. And that gives me value as a person, as a being. Apart from any intrinsic value I have in myself, I have value because I belong to the Lord.
1: It's
0: a very personal very intimate relationship that david is describing here and it sets the tone for the whole song the lord is my shepherd there is a a personal intimate relationship between me and the lord i'm his he owns me and and I, i belong to him this is personal and it's intimate it's not distant it's not far away and david understood the imagery of the sheep that's how sheep and shepherds work sheep knew their shepherds and shepherds knew their sheep. That's why in John 10, verse 3 and following, it says this. Jesus captures this by saying, The sheep hear his voice. That's the shepherd. And he calls his own sheep, how? By name. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. There's an intimate relationship of voice. They know one another. They have names. And they recognize one another. Sheep, shepherds knew their sheep. They were with them all the time. Each night when the sheep would come in to to rest for the night, they would pass under the the rod of the shepherd and he would closely inspect each one and check for injury and check for sickness. He knew them forward and backward, up up and down. He named them. That's a close relationship. You, You don't name people who are distant from you. Well, I guess you could in a pejorative sense, but that's not what we're talking about here. Like that guy who cuts you off in traffic. You might name him, but we're not going to talk about that. <clears throat> but naming has a, 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 an intimacy about it. I mean, we have a dog in our home. Her name is Ariel. and She's a great dog. We named her. We gave her that name. There are lots of dogs in my neighborhood, and if a stray dog comes running by my house, I don't name that dog. I just say there's a stray dog. Somebody catch that dog. Why do I not name that dog? Because it's belonged to me. It's not my dog. My dog has a name. I know her. She knows me. The same is true with our kids, right? We name our kids. That's a big deal when you have a baby, isn't it? All of you who've just had babies, I I won't name the family, but there is a family connected to our church family who has recently had a baby who had much trouble with this process. And uh, we won't call them out, but praise God they did figure a name eventually for this child so we don't have to say that baby. And today they call him by name They call him by name You can sort of zone in on who it is by where that laughter just came from in case you were wondering Do we name our own kids? We don't name somebody else's kids, right? We name our kids Because they belong to us and there's an intimate relationship there that comes along with naming them We love them and we care for them and they're ours When sheep would when a shepherd would gather his sheep in a communal pen at night with other shepherds, and in the morning when he would be ready to draw out his flock to move to the next place, he would call his sheep. He would call out to them. And guess what? Only his sheep would respond to his voice, and they would come out. Everybody else's sheep just rolled over and said, yeah, that's not my alarm clock, and they would go right back to sleep. His sheep knew his voice. And when he called, they came. Because they belonged to him. He knew them, they know him. Parents, again, you understand this, right? There could be a a, a yard full of kids running and screaming like wild maniacs. And there could be ten moms out there. And one of those moms calls out. And there's going to be a kid that's going to come to attention, right? The other kids just keep doing their thing. But that kid comes to attention because he knows his mom's voice, right? He hears her or a mom. When those kids are out there, one kid starts screaming in the mob. Ah, you know, I'm dying. I fell off the monkey bars. Every mom doesn't get concerned to the same extent, but one mom knows, hey, that's my kid's voice. That's my kid that's screaming. Because she knows him, and there's a close personal relationship. And that's what David, all that's captured in when David says, The Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. I know him. He knows me. We're intimate with one another. And he says, Why is that significant? And here's the main issue of the whole psalm David is saying, Because of that, here's the significance of that. I shall not want. Because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The best translation of that is in the NIV, where it says, I shall not be in want. Why do you say that? Because when it says, I shall not want, when it's translated that way, it gives the impression that we're talking about desires, that we're talking about, well, I don't want anything. You know, all the desires that I have will be fulfilled. Through the Lord. And we all know by experience that that is not always true. We do have desires, and we often have desires that go unfilled. That is not the issue here. The issue is not because the Lord is my shepherd, every desire that I could ever wish will be made manifest in my life. The issue is not that. The issue here is this because the Lord is my shepherd, I will never lack what I need. That's the issue. I shall not be in want. I shall not be in a condition where I'm lacking the things that are necessary for my life. Because the shepherd provides everything his sheep need. Without the shepherd, sheep are needy and helpless and utterly defenseless. They are not responsible to provide for themselves. They are, in fact, utterly incapable of doing so. They totally depend on the shepherd to provide all of their needs. And the shepherd provides for them everything, or they die. That's the reality. And David is saying, this is what the Lord does for me. He is my shepherd. I depend on him for everything, and he has promised me that I will never face a moment in my life where there are critical needs that I have, that he will stand back aloof and not meet them. Never a moment in my life. Here's the bedrock truth of this bottom line issue. When the Lord is our shepherd, we will have everything we truly need. Everything we truly need. You and I, if we belong to the Lord, never need to spend one second of our lives worrying or anxious about the bedrock basic needs of our life. Because those things are never in question and they are never in play because God has made an enduring promise on the the authority of His own reputation. That he will meet those needs If we can ever capture that simple thought in our hearts and our minds It will eliminate a bunch of grief from our lives It will eliminate a bunch of pain that we self-inflict By allowing ourselves to be consumed with anxiety and fears Over basic things that we need in our lives Because the Lord has promised to provide The rest of this psalm is really David providing examples of exactly what kinds of things the Lord provides. What kinds of of needs does the Lord provide? What are some examples of how the Great Shepherd provides for our needs in life? And he gives us a list of the kinds of things that he provides. It's not an exhaustive list, but it is a pretty comprehensive list. And I'll give it to you this morning, and we'll just really only have time to sort of scrape the surface of these things. But the first thing he tells us that our Great Shepherd provides for us is peace and sustenance. Peace and sustenance. He makes me lie down, David says, in green pastures. And he leads me beside still waters. If there is a, a one critical need that every creature needs, it is food and water. Are we on the same page here? Every living, breathing creature needs those two things to live. We need food, we need water. Sheep are no different. They need food and they need water. The problem is with sheep, they're incredibly fearful animals. They're so easy to frighten. They're terribly fearful. And when they're scared, they will never lie down. They will not lie down. They will walk around. They will pace around. They will bath. They will do all sorts of things, but they will not lie down. A shepherd has to work diligently to remove every source of fear before a sheep will lie down. And rest And only the shepherd Only their shepherd Can provide the trust And the peace And the confidence That they need To lie down and rest To know that their needs Are cared for He talks about green pastures If you've ever been to Israel before You realize that green pastures Are not the norm in Israel It's a a dry and arid land. And there are green pastures, but they're often separated by large distances by very dry and barren sorts of lands. That's why shepherds have to move their sheep from pasture to pasture. They have to go one place and not exhaust all of the supply of food before they move through some barren land to get to another uh, green pasture where the food can be found for the sheep. But sheep naturally cannot find those pastures on their own. They need a shepherd. They need a shepherd to lead them there. To bring them to the food so that they can eat And that's a huge part of what a shepherd does he leads them to food, but what else he talks about still waters another thing that sheep need is fresh water to drink And freshest water is typically water that is running moving The problem is sheep Are terrified of running water frustrating that must be as a shepherd Here's the water drink it. No, I'm scared. It's moving and so the shepherd actually has to take rocks and he has to go to the moving water And he has to sort of dam up the flow so that it will pool in a place and be still And gather so the sheep will actually come to it and drink the water The shepherd has a lot of work to do to make still waters of fresh water for the sheep to drink And all of that's captured in this green pastures and still waters The whole image though here is of a shepherd who cares for his sheep is the shepherd who calms the fears and the anxieties of, their, of the sheep so that they can have their food and water, the basic needs of their lives. He supplies their necessities. He's a shepherd in whose presence the sheep have no reason to be afraid. The shepherd who gives the sheep every reason to lay down and rest. And David says, this is the kind of shepherd the Lord is to me. David was a man who knew anxieties and fears. He was a man whose life went up and down and all around. He understood enemies. He understood betrayal. He understood pain. He understood deep, deep grief. He understood incredible loss, even the loss of his children. David's life took him through all sorts of valleys. And his life experiences gave him lots of reasons and opportunities to be afraid and anxious. But David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He provides for me peace, and I can lie down and rest, because I know He provides what I need. What else does He provide? He provides life and health. psalmist says, He restores my soul. Say that with me. He restores my soul. That just sounds wonderful, doesn't it? The translation is a little tricky here. Uh, there's a Hebrew idiom, restores my soul, can actually mean brings me to repentance or bring me to conversion. But it can also, the word soul, can also be translated life, so it could be rendered something along the lines of he restores me to life. So it can be taken on one of two levels. A physical sort of a level, the Lord restores me to life. That is when I'm in danger or when I'm sick, he restores my life. He gives me life, and when my life is threatened, He is the one who comes to my rescue and restores it. But on a spiritual level, the spiritual metaphor then also carries the same idea. He is the one who who rescues my soul, who saves my very soul, and restores it when I drift away. Sheep depend on their shepherd for all of their physical life and health. You realize, a sheep... It's completely and totally lost within a few miles of its home. They have no sense of direction. No sense of direction whatsoever. Most animals have some, have this God given sort of a GPS inside that helps them to know where they are and how to get where they belong. Sheep are missing the GPS, they don't have it. They're very familiar with their own little pen. They know their way around that. And they'll keep the same routines all the time. But if you take those sheep and you move them just a couple miles down the road, they are utterly and completely lost and they have no idea where to go. They will just roam mindlessly. They will walk around in endless circles, bang, continually. Confusion and unrest and sometimes even panic. And they will wander off, not knowing where they're going, and end up in danger. And in trouble. A sheep that gets lost, that wanders away, is vulnerable and will soon die. They won't be able to find water and they won't be able to find food, so they'll starve to death or thirst to death. They'll wander into dangerous terrain and they'll fall off a cliff or they'll fall into a hole and they won't be able to get up and get out and they'll die. They'll wander off from the pen and they'll be sitting, sitting sheep. Sitting sheep. I was going to say ducks, but that doesn't work. For for predators, right? Something will eat them. Their lives are in sheer danger, apart from the shepherd. The shepherd's job is to give them life and health, to keep them alive, (laughs) right? To keep them from wandering away and getting into trouble, to keep them from getting harmed or eaten or die. He provides for them life. And he protects their life And he takes care of their health When a sheep is injured The shepherd lovingly cares for the health of that sheep He binds their wounds He pours oil on their wounds And he helps restore them back to health To get them to the end game So what's the analogy for David and for us? Well, there's this issue of spiritual life and health Just like regular sheep are prone to wander God's sheep are also prone to wander Can I get an amen? Amen If there are any sheep out here, do you identify with what it's like to wander away from the Lord? We are prone to wander. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone to his own way. That's what we do. We figure we know the way better than he does. And so we just take off down our own little road. Yep, we've all wandered from the Lord That's the state in which we come into this world, by the way Wanderers who have left our creator Were it not for the Lord being a good shepherd Who is willing to pursue us and capture us and draw us to himself We would be endlessly and hopelessly forever lost But he is a good shepherd Who pursues his sheep and draws them to himself And saves their very soul And then spends the rest of their sanctification Pursuing them as they stray and bringing them back Provides for us life and health. What else does he provide? He provides guidance and direction. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his own namesake. What are these paths of righteousness? Well, essentially it's right paths. The shepherd knows where the sheep need to go. The sheep do not know where they need to go. And so the shepherd leads them on the right path to get where they need to go. Such a simple concept, right? Right. I don't need to belabor it. Those of us who belong to the great shepherd, we too don't know where we need to go in our lives. We don't know which direction to go. Sometimes that's more vivid in our experience than it is in other times, but it's the Lord who guides. It's the Lord who provides direction for our lives He's the Lord who gets us onto the right path He reveals to us what the right paths are and he drives us by his spirit moving us internally along the right path That we might get where he intends for us to go And it's a beautiful thing when we hear the Lord say you are my sheep and I will get you where you need to go What I've begun in you I will complete he says in the new testament I'll get you where you need to go. He provides guidance and direction we don't, have to, we don't have to freak out in our lives and live in anxiety and worry and fear about the direction of our lives because we have a good shepherd who provides for us guidance and direction. He does that through at least three means. Through his word, which is a light unto our path. You remember that? It lights the way, gives us direction, his word. He does it through his spirit that he implants within our hearts that internally drives us where we need to go and throws up red flags and alarm bells in our mind when we're going the wrong way. You know what I'm talking about? His Word, His Spirit, and His people. Another value for the church, right, is God uses His people to come around us and provide direction for our lives. When we're confused... When the circumstances of our life are blinding us to where we need to go and how we need to behave It's then in those moments that we run to god's people and god uses the wisdom of his people to come around us and say brother I think you're blind brother. I think you can't see this right. You need to understand. Here's the direction you need to go according to the word of the lord The word the spirit His people What a comfort right? What a comfort to know we have a shepherd who doesn't leave us to wander around and figure it out for ourselves who doesn't leave us as sheep vulnerable to every danger in the world, but is committed to guiding us and getting us to where we need to go. He provides security and comfort. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Security and comfort. Sheep have no natural defenses. None. None. They do nothing well to help in their own defense. They can't kick. They can't scratch. They can't bite. They can't jump. They can't run. They have no claws. They have no stingers. They have no poison. They have nothing but wool. They have no natural defenses. When attacked by a predator, they can do nothing. I mean, at least a skunk can stink them away, right? A porcupine can shoot stuff at them. A sheep has nothing. He's got nothing. They just sit there and die. They're utterly defenseless. Without a shepherd, they cannot survive. Instead of running from predators, you know what they do? They just sort of group up and huddle and stand still. I mean, I guess in one sense you could say it's smart. I've got a better shot. If I run by myself, I'm a sitting duck, but maybe I'll eat the guy next to me this time. I don't know. Without a shepherd, they can't survive. They have no natural defense. They don't do anything. They don't, they don't do anything. That's why, there's no, that's why there's no football team with sheep as their mascot, right? I mean you go to the Yeah, we're the fighting sheep. You know what does a sheep do? doesn't I mean, even in South Carolina we have a school that has a chicken and at least a chicken has a claw. A sheep's got nothing. There's no fighting sheep. Can you see that helmet? You know, the sheep. What do they do? You know, they hike the ball and everybody just lays down? I don't know. I'm sorry, that's that's just uh, we don't have time for that. But they they have no defense. They have no weaponry of their own. They are sitting ducks apart from a shepherd who will protect them. They die. That's the reality. And that's the imagery. And a huge part of a shepherd's job is to protect his sheep. Because in moving from point A to point B, the terrain is is dotted with all sorts of predators who would love to eat a sheep. Who would love to attack something that cannot attack back. And so the shepherd is constantly holding those predators at bay, i.e. David, right? Bears and lions, wolves, wild dogs, etc. The shepherd protects his sheep. The sheep never have to worry about whether they're safe because the shepherd keeps them safe. There's a message in that for people like us who live in a world like ours, where every time we turn on the television, we are inundated with messages that tell us all the reasons that we should be afraid of all the chaos in the world around us. And as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, people who look to Him and say, we are sheep and He is our shepherd, we must constantly push back against that message and say, absolutely not. I will not live in fear of anyone or anything or any circumstance in the world because the Lord is my shepherd. He is my protection. And as long as He is with me, I will live unless He says it's time for me to die. In which case, I still don't have to be afraid because the psalmist is going to tell us I'll live in his house forever. He's our security. The valley of the shadow of death, rod and a staff. You understand those things. I don't have to be afraid because the Lord is my shepherd and I know what he's like and I know what he's capable of. Think about that in terms of last week's Psalm 50. Think of that. He is a loving shepherd, but when his when his sheep are threatened The fierce god of psalm 50 shows up at their defense And when you understand the fierce god of psalm 50 you realize there's nothing and no one on this planet That can match that and I have no reason to be afraid because he's in my corner It's like having that big brother when you're a little kid and the other kids are bullying you and you can go to school And say yeah, go ahead and pick on me. I dare you I'm not scared of you mess with me. My brother's coming beat you silly the lord is my shepherd i don't have to be afraid he loves me and when i'm threatened he'll run to my defense write this down psalm 18:5 through 17 we have no time this morning psalm 18:5 through 17 read that later and you'll get a sense for what i'm talking about and we don't have to be afraid because of who he is and what he's capable of and we don't have to be afraid because he's with us that's what david says i'm not afraid because he's with me but the other night we were all upstairs in our home, and either Danielle or myself had told Aiden go downstairs and brush your teeth or something. And I was in the room studying, and he walked by, and instead of going downstairs, he came and he poked his head sheepishly around the, oh, sheepishly, around the, around the, the door. He didn't even mean to do that. And he said, Dad, he said, Daddy, would you come with me? It's dark down there. He still didn't want to go down by himself because it was dark. This is our house. We have this conversation. It's our house. No one's here. It's just us and the dog. But to him, the darkness is fearful. And somehow it makes it better for him if I just go with him. Just me being there somehow makes the darkness better. I used to have a dog named Cody one time who was terrified of storms. Every time it thundered outside, he would shiver and shake. But all you had to do was sit down, and Cody could jump up on my lap. And if he sat on my lap, he'd go to sleep. No problems with the storm. Somehow, just my presence made all the difference for him when something was frightful And david is saying the lord is my shepherd. I don't have to be afraid because he's with me When the darkness comes i'm not walking through the darkness by myself When I have to go through a valley with, filled with predators where the sun can't shine I don't have to be afraid because I don't go there by myself I he comes with me And he walks with me in fact he leads me there and he leads me out Security and comfort that comes God doesn't always promise to take away our pain He doesn't promise to remove all darkness from our lives He doesn't promise to calm every single storm the moment we cry out to him But what he does promise Is that wherever we go and whatever he leads us to he goes there with us And that brings comfort and security to the believer Philippians 4 The Lord is near be anxious for nothing The lord is near be anxious for nothing Let me ask you this this morning people What anxieties did you carry into this room this morning? What did you walk into this room all tied up in knots inside about? What kind of things are are facing you at the moment in some sphere of your life That have you operating on the basis of fear. That are frightening you. That are terrifying you. You need to hear this morning, the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He is with me. I will not be afraid. And the thing that is most frightening that any of us ever face is the prospect of death. Our lives coming to an end. And this psalm ends on that note. The Psalmist David says, even that, even that does not need to generate fear and anxiety in my heart. Because I have a promise from the Lord. I have a promise from Him. That even when I exit stage right this life, I will dwell in His house forever. Forever to leave here is to go there to leave here is not to go out into some aimless wandering eternity It's to go into the house of the lord where I will dwell securely having access to all of his provision and protection forever There is no security that comes more than that All of these things that we've said about the lord being our shepherd They're only true and they're only promises if indeed he is your shepherd He cannot be to you the shepherd or a shepherd. He must be your shepherd. You say, how does that become a reality? Well, when we move to the New Testament, John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. I am the shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Roger read that for us earlier. You see, the God who is the shepherd that David spoke of came near to us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life and died on a cross, shedding His own very blood for our sins. That we might be able, we, rebellious sheep who have wandered from His fold, may be able to run to Him in confession of our sin and repentance and embrace Him, seeking His forgiveness, submitting our lives to Him, and He then becomes for us our shepherd. It's the sheep saying to the shepherd, "Oh shepherd, I've wandered. But I know my only hope is You. I submit my life to You and I'm so sorry. Forgive me. I want to be a part of Your fold forever. And the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes into your life and mine and says, Anyone, all, who call upon my name will be saved. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord as your shepherd because you've never committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ... You're in a dangerous predicament, but there's safety and there's security in the Lord who is your shepherd, if you'll repent and trust Him today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your Word and this imagery that helps us. We pray this morning for those who don't know You as their shepherd, that they would see the danger they find themselves in like... A sheep who's wandered away, who is utterly vulnerable and has absolutely no defense. And if their life comes to an end that way, they will be torn apart, literally. Cast into an eternal hell. But there is salvation in you. You're a Lord who restores the soul. For those who don't know you this morning, Lord, I pray that they would run to you. Confess their sin. Confess their rebellion. They would submit their very lives to you that you might save their very souls. And for those who are sheep of your fold, people who could say honestly from their hearts, the Lord is my shepherd, but they've come into this place this morning just twisted up with fear and anxiety about things that are going on in life or things that are potentially going to go on in their lives, I pray that this morning they would find comfort and peace And rest in you. That they would embrace in their very heart that you are a shepherd who has promised they will never lack what they need. Who will provide for them everything they need for life. That they can trust in you and lie down and rest from their fears and rest from their worries because You care for them and You are near to them and You are with them. They are never alone. We are never homeless because we belong to You. Oh, Lord, draw our hearts to You this morning. May we see You for who You are and find rest in You.
1: We pray in Christ's name. Amen.